0: What is up, team? Welcome back to the show, Andrea. Welcome back once again. Hey, thanks. Of course, cool. So let's get right into it. First and foremost, you are about to do your photo shoot, right?
1: Yeah, it's Wednesday. So as we as we record this, it's Thursday, and so six days until the photo shoot.
0: How you feeling about that? Are you feeling ready?
1: Yeah, I feel pretty good. This week um, has been tougher, just like. I think it's because it's been raining <laughs> for like a solid 48 <laughs> hours and it's fall break. So my whole normal routine is like get up and take a walk in the morning, train, take the kids to school, walk some more in the afternoon to pick up uh, the kids from school. And now it's like, okay, it's raining outside. There's no routine because the kids are home. And so motivation has taken a dip this week. But And so that's not like ideal timing, but... <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, we're almost there.
0: Cool. Let's actually do next week. Let's do a Let's do another episode and just actually dig deep into like your entire photo shoot prep. I would love to like actually talk through like this entire process, what it's been like, because this has been like a year long process to get you ready for this basically. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It has been.
0: How much weight have you lost? Uh,
1: almost 20 pounds.
0: Okay. And you were pretty lean to start the process.
1: I was, um, I was not as lean as, I I don't know. I I don't know how to answer that because 20 pounds (laughs) is a lot. So,
0: so you're like what? 135 right
1: now? Uh, one between uh, like around 142,
0: 143. Yeah. Okay. So like on a heavy
1: weigh-in day before, like on a, on a, you know it, things always fluctuate so like on a heavier day i'd be like 162 and now i'm down to around 142 so
0: okay. 20 so i mean you've lost what is that like 12 my math is terrible and i always like fuck up math on the podcast but that's like 12 percent of your total body weight isn't it
1: sure <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know mental math on that
0: <laughs> anyways you've lost a significant amount I know in the yeah. pictures you posted on Instagram, which probably don't actually do it justice, but you've looked pretty shredded. So are you happy with, like, the amount of leanings you have currently?
1: Yeah, I am. So it it's it's always hard to tell. And then um, over the weekend, I did a refeed and um, just, like, having Sue send back the pictures of – because I, I said, like, what exactly are you looking at between the refeeds so that you know, like – was this enough carbs? Do you think we should push carbs higher? Was it too many? And so she put the pictures last week to this week side by side. And it's actually crazy. The difference that it made to add in some carbs.
0: So do you so, look a lot better poster feed?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just having like the the rest day, Saturday, Sunday, we went on a couple mountain bike rides, but it was nothing crazy. Um, and, and then just from that and uh, what would it be? 150 almost extra carbs per day Um, just like my shoulders were popping out more my hamstrings were showing a lot more which I didn't that's
0: interesting yeah
1: Yeah. and like my um, my abs were flatter which you wouldn't expect after having extra food and I was trying to really keep the fiber down, (laughs) not (laughs) add in too many vegetables. Um, So yeah, it was a nice surprise there.
0: Cool. So so what day, was there like a specific day? But Was it like the day after a refeed? Did she have you shoot like pictures like, hey, day of the refeed, day after the refeed, two days after, or like, was it just like one set of pictures?
1: No, it was one set of pictures on Monday, which is my normal picture day. And so the refeed was Saturday and Sunday, and then pictures Monday morning.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. Um, I know a lot of times, like for a client that is ready relatively early, one thing you can do, and like what I've done with a couple clients, is like actually have shoot pictures post refeed, like post two days after the refeed, see how you look, and then you can kind of gauge like when you're going to the peak for the photo shoot, kind of what like the look, like okay, how because that basically helps you gauge because some people look better like. Day after three feet. Some will look better two days after three feet. And that can kind of help gauge, okay, what's like our ideal strategy going into like this last bit before the shoot, like when we're feeding you up for the shoot, when do we want to do that? How do we want to time that? Such such interesting stuff. This is like such a fun thing. Getting somebody or getting yourself or getting someone else ready for a photo shoot is such a fun thing because there's so many cool little variables like that you can play with. You've been doing depletion workouts too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They've killed me.
0: (laughs) Talk us through that. Like what's the reasoning behind that and what do those kind of look like?
1: So basically just depleting, uh, the carbohydrates stored in the muscle. And then the more I'm depleted before the photo shoot, the more um, carbs I can load up and look better with those, um, in my system for the photo shoot. So they've been, the first week was, um, like lengthening and shortening, uh, overload supersets. So like, mm. so for bicep curl, it'd be like incline curls, superset with standing dumbbell curl. Um, uh-huh. So ima- imagine that with like a full body, full upper body day and a full lower body day. The first two days absolutely wrecked me. I was uh-huh. just dying during and after, <laughs> and I was super sore um, since that day. It hasn't been quite as bad, but yeah, basically just getting as depleted as possible so that we can load everything up before the pictures.
0: That sounds pretty brutal, especially in a state where like that's one thing if it's hey I'm eating at maintenance or I'm in a slicer plus and I'm doing like these because no matter what a lengthened to shorten superset or another example of that would be like a stiff which this is like if you taught use biceps as an example, it's like, okay, yeah, I could deal with that. But if it's like, okay, so let's imagine you did a superset of back squats to leg extensions or mm-hmm. Romanian deadlifts to lying leg curls, then that's a lot more brutal. We're, I imagine your lower body days were pretty brutal or happened yeah. pretty brutal.
1: Yeah. Okay. I was okay. so sore after the first one. Uh, the, the Since then, they haven't been as, as bad. But that first day, my soreness was so bad. I haven't been like that in a long time because I've been in a neural phase for quite a while, um, just okay. being low carb and everything. So yeah, it, it was bad, <laughs> but it feels, feels pretty good now.
0: Cool. Do you know when you guys are going to start feeding up again or is the plan to kind of just do a refeed right before the shoot?
1: Uh, Sunday I start with like a, an intermediate number with carbs. I go up to a hundred right now. I'm at 65. Um, yeah. So I'll go up a hundred on Sunday, which is a rest day. And then from there it goes up to one, somewhere around 150. I can't remember the exact number. And then 185 the day before.
0: Okay. Um, Are you, are your depletion workouts done before? Are you transitioning or are you depleting straight into that?
1: I am finishing up this week. So really just one more tomorrow, depletion workout. And then um, she hasn't sent me anything over yet, but it sounds like just going to be basically like full body pump sessions
0: okay okay yeah typically those last couple days before the shoot you want to make sure the style of training you're doing isn't going to create a ton of inflammation because you're gonna look a lot puffier so i was gonna say if you're still doing like i would be very surprised if you would like continue to do like and it wouldn't make sense to like carve you up and try to deplete you at the same time yeah of course so i figured that was the case but if you were doing like uh like, hey, we're still doing a lot of movements where we're really overloading the LinkedIn position, for example, that wouldn't make quite as much sense. But cool. I'm, I'm so yeah. excited to see the results of this because you've been prepping for it for a long time. And it'll <laughs> be cool to, again, like put out and share the process you went through with our clients as well. Yeah. Cool. Do you have anything else to add as far as the shoot prep goes?
1: I don't, I don't think so.
0: Cool. All right. Let's get into these questions then. I'm going to kick the first one over to you, which is... Thoughts on the importance of meal frequency.
1: There, you can look at this from um, like both different angles of like what happens if you go too high with frequency and then what happens if you go too low and everybody will fall in a different spot on the spectrum there. But like, let's think of um, what I mean by that with the two different sides of the spectrum is if there is like a hundred pound female and she's. Dieting, eating like 1,100 calories per day. um, Her meal frequency might want to be closer to like three meals, maybe four in a day. Um, Mm -hmm. It just in order to get enough food volume per meal to stay full and satisfied. If there's like a 250 pound man who is bulking, (laughs) eating upwards of 4,000 calories per day, um, he may have to go closer to like six. Uh, meals per day, or maybe even seven, just in order to be able to digest that food and not um, be overly full per meal. So that's one end of it is just with spreading calories out. Um, Another thing to consider is protein timing. So if you have... um, like if you're on the smaller female end of that spectrum, and you're eating 100 grams of protein per day, if you split that add up into more than four to five meals per day, then you're getting such small protein feedings per meal that your um, amino acids number is so low that you're not going to maximally um, stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And then On the other end of that spectrum, if you have so much protein per meal that you have a hard time digesting that, then that's also not not ideal. So really you just want to divide it up in a way that makes sense for your lifestyle, your digestion, and to um, get enough protein feedings per day, but not so many that your protein amount per meal ends up being too small.
0: Absolutely. And that's, again, it's a... It's kind of a multifaceted conversation, right? Like, I know I've seen before too, like clients who were splitting their meals up into like like eating seven meals a day, for example, and it was to the point where, like, hey, you're only you're nailing your protein targets, but you're only getting like fifteen grams of protein per meal because you're eating so many meals. So either and actually like sometimes in that situation i'll just bump up protein a little bit more so like hey let's make sure we can take this to like 20 to 25 grams to better stimulate muscle protein synthesis um but sometimes it is like hey we're in a deficit maybe we do just need to condense this down into fewer meals to make sure that we can nail those targets frequency and here not even like I think that protein timing is the most important thing. So I know like when a client is sending over their food logs, the first couple of weeks when we're really working deep in people's food logs, the first things I'm looking at are, Hey, did you hit your overall macros across the course of the day? That's going to be the most important thing. But then the next thing that I'm looking at is going to be, okay, how is protein split up relatively or how is protein split up across the day? Because as you said, again, like, for the most ideal results, we're going to want, like, ideally at least four feedings of somewhere between 20 and 40 plus grams of protein, right? Depending on the size of the individual. And again, like, if someone is doing it as, hey, I have like 60 grams here, 50 grams here, and then my snack is like 15 grams of protein. Okay, we well, don't want to tweak what we're doing within this to kind of space that protein a little bit more evenly. Um, I think that. Protein timing is the most important thing here when we're looking at meal frequency, right? Like you used to hear people say, hey, we need to eat. Like the more meals you eat, the more you'll stoke your metabolic fire. Whereas really like where that came from is this understanding that, okay, eating food does spike your metabolism because there's a thermic effect of food. We burn calories during digestion. But the thing there is like, the so basically that's referencing the thermic effect of food, right? Calories burned during digestion. The thing is, if it is, you're eating three thousand calories, and it is three big meals at a thousand calories each, or six smaller meals at five hundred calories each. At the end of the day, the thermic effect of food is going to be the same. So, from that perspective, there's not as many metabolic benefits. But, like as you alluded to, if we're in this place where, for example, like you're eating a thousand calories per meal and your digestion is just terrible after that. And like we're in a building phase. Well, no matter what we wouldn't want you to be in this place where digestion is terrible. But again, like let's say we're in a building phase and your digestion is just bad. Okay. You're not actually going to be able to assimilate and use all those nutrients that you're taking in. A lot of them are like literally just passing right through. So you're probably going to struggle to build muscle more. I know we talked about like my client, Joey, not long ago on the podcast as well, but like, again, this is another example, a good example where like, for him, he's been able to build so much muscle the last few months, whereas he was always in this place before where he was eating so much food, eating so much food, he just couldn't gain weight. He just couldn't build muscle. But a lot of it was because like, we have don't have him eating very much more food, but all of a sudden, he's like seeing the consistent rate of gain, he's building muscle. But it's because we've done all these things to actually get his digestion in, in a better place so he can use the food that he's taking in. So that digestion piece of it is pretty damn important as well. Um, as far as the overall importance of meal frequency... I think that most people like from a hunger perspective, if you're basically turning it into like if you're dieting and you're turning it into, okay, I'm just eating like my meals. I mean, it's six to seven meals and it's kind of just like small snacks. Basically that's like just, it's like a couple hundred calories each. That's like just enough to kind of stimulate your appetite and make you hungry. Like you're eating just enough to never actually feel full. Whereas like I think in a scenario like that, if you are dieting, I think being closer to like four meals or maybe three meals and a snack per day makes more sense. If you have lower calories, So you can get these big meals that will at least fill you up for a couple hours versus like trying to split this up into six meals. And it's like, okay, I'm never like once throughout my day feeling full. I think for most people, like from a mental side, that makes it a lot harder to adhere to the diet. Um, but and then I think, again, in a building, no matter what, we need to, as you said, keep protein frequency like protein timing in mind. Ideally, we're going to try to split that up pretty evenly amongst four to six meals. But again, like, and then the number of that should vary based on whether you're building or dieting and then your digestion. Do you have anything else to add to that? No. Cool. Okay. Um, Next we had when building, do you generally have to increase macros regularly to continue to see desired rate of gain? And how do you approach this? All right. So, Within a building phase, I do, I would say that most people don't have to see like a, typically people have to bump calories every, if we're going to put a number on it, like every two to three months. So in a building phase, typically what we want to see is about 0.25, 0.5% of body weight gain per week. That said, it's never going to be just like, just like dieting, it's never going to be perfectly linearly. So typically how we look at this is across the course of two to three weeks, have your averages fallen within this desired rate of gain. Like maybe there was a week where we didn't see any gain. And then the next week we saw, okay, you gained closer to like 0.75% of your body weight this week. So across the course of the last two weeks, we've been at like 0.375 is what you've gained (laughs) per week on average. Right. Okay, cool. So you're still in alignment with our rate of gain. I would say really though, for most people, again, like it's not just like in dieting, like if adherence is good, most people don't have to make that we don't have to make that many adjustments for right um and i think the same thing holds true in a building phase most often it's like hey maybe every two somewhere between two to three months is typically when we'll have to make another bump of about 100 50 to 100 calories depending on the person typically that's going to come via carbohydrates because those are going to be the most by this especially if we're in a building phase we're already at the point where okay you're eating at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight um your fats are put somewhere between 0.3 and 0.4 grams this depends on the person but typically they're going to be somewhere within that range so again we know you have enough fat to optimize your hormonal health so past that point we know that carbs are going to do more to better fuel your training better fuel your recovery And carbs are going to be less likely to be stored as body fat than fat is. So again, it makes sense for us to ramp up carbs more. Um, But I would say like in my experience, I'm interested to hear your take on this, but I would say typically no. It's rarely more than like every two to three months that we need to increase. Once we get dialed in on, it does take a little bit of time to find because some people are going to have more adaptive metabolisms, whereas some people are going to have more rigid metabolisms. So some people, it does take a little bit of time to find like Hey, what's the point we need to have you at to actually have you gaining consistently? And sometimes it does take like, oh shit, okay, you need to eat a little bit more than we expected because you're also ramping up movement more than I expected you would be. Um, Or like the digestion thing. Sometimes it will take some time to troubleshoot that. But once we get those variables figured out, again, it's not that often that we have to increase in a building phase. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to also add in the Mm -hmm. the part about adaptive or uh, rigid metabolisms, but Even with an adaptive metabolism, it comes to a point where they're not going to continue to move even more and more and more once you push the calories up high enough. So once you find that spot, then it's just about holding until the momentum stops. So um, one other consideration I would make is if the person is very new to uh, to proper weight training, Mm -hmm. then you could go a little bit slower because they're likely going to recomp a little bit. Um, If it's somebody that is closer to maybe closer to their genetic potential or even just more on the like intermediate side of weight training, then they are going to have to definitely see the weight on the scale go up as they Mm -hmm. progress just to make sure that they're building lean muscle because they're probably not going to be recomping as much.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's so important to understand. Like if you are in that place where, and typically this is the person who like, Hey, I had this year where I saw great progress. I was losing fat and building muscle at the same time it was crazy. This was, and this was typically like their first year into like, I'm training this smart manner, I'm paying some attention to my nutrition. And then this last year, so it's been like two years as a whole, this last year I haven't hardly made any progress because I've continued to try to lose fat and build muscle at the same time. I, this is like the most common client that comes to us. Right. So, it's like, hey, I kind of want to recapture those glory days where I was building muscle and losing fat at the same time. And it's just understanding, hey, you're kind of past the point where that's feasible. So, for you to build, you need adequate calories, right? We know that if you're, when you're in a deficit rate of muscle protein synthesis, is going to be depressed. It's going to be harder to train It's harder. You're going to have fewer recovered resources to allocate to building muscle. Muscle is very calorically expensive. So, your body is just not going to prioritize building muscle when you're in a deficit Hormones aren't going to be in as good of a place. All these variables that make it harder to like, once you're past those, (laughs) that like beautiful time where we can like very easily build muscle and lose fat at the same time, we don't want you in a deficit. So that's because you're not in a calorie deficit. You're not eating fewer calories and you're burning. You shouldn't be losing fat. So thus we need to make sure like if you're not slowly gaining weight, we know you're not losing fat. So if you're not slowly gaining, you're probably just not building muscle right so it's kind of like an insurance policy now and i think it's also important to understand like hey we can't just force feed muscle growth it's not just like like and i think this sometimes gets overlooked too where like i'm very hesitant to take on a client that wants to do a building phase that wants to only do nutrition coaching with us (laughs) because it is very much like this your training is the stimulus that's creating the growth right your calories create your, your macros create uh um more permissive conditions for growth, but your training is a stimulus for this, right? So we need to make sure that that is very much on point as well. Um, I kind of forgot the original point that I was trying to make with that, but I think those are all important things to understand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that covered it.
0: Cool. Next question I have for you. Can you explain the purpose of the different training phases? Why wouldn't you just always train for hypertrophy if muscle building is the goal?
1: So as you go into a hypertrophy phase, eventually you get to a point where just providing that exact same stimulus is not the the thing holding you back. So you get to a point where um, maybe your recovery between sets isn't as good as it could be or should be. Or maybe you aren't as strong as you need to be or aren't like really connecting in each movement. So when you, like at some point you kind of cap off, um, the rate of gains that you're going to get from just a hypertrophy stimulus. So at that point, it's good to take a step back and go, okay, if the thing holding me back is how quickly I'm able to recover between sets. And so therefore within each set, instead of like really taking like, for instance, my quad to failure or to one shy of failure, instead, I'm just getting gassed, then it would be good to go through a mesocycle of like a metabolite phase, where you're working on bringing up that deficit and making your your body better (laughs) at doing that. And so when you go back to hypertrophy, then you're able to give more effort into the, the hypertrophy rep range training. Um, And then the other side of that is the strength training phase with strength training. If you get stronger, first of all, you're going to be able to go back to that hypertrophy rep range and, and use heavier weights and therefore get more stimulus out of that. You're also going to create a better neurological connection. So, you are able to really um, be more solid in each movement and connect better. Well, like, let's say a, um, like an RDL. So if your hamstrings are stronger and you're able to do, to do a heavy four to six rep um, set with an RDL, then you go back to the hypertrophy rep, rep range and you're just better able to connect on uh, that movement to like the, the muscles that you're trying to work your hamstrings and your glutes
0: yeah absolutely um yeah so basically what she's alluding to here is something we talked about quite a bit and something we use with an approach that we use with many of our clients that we have all these different phases right we have neurological or strength phases we have hypertrophy phases and we have these metabolic phases and this is very much something that we've adapted from in one education to an extent so basically it's we talk a lot about this idea of rate limiters, right? Like what's the rate limiter? What's kind of the bottleneck that's holding you back from making more progress. It's kind of the thing to understand here is your body's an adaptation machine over time. Like the amount that we get from doing any one stimulus is going to get less and less. So like, look at this as like running to lose body fat, which is a terrible way to lose body fat, but roll with me on this analogy. All right. So the first time you run a mile, um, you burn a lot of calories that's a significant stress on your body. Your body's like, fuck. I want to get better. I need to adapt and grow. So the next time I'm put in this stressful situation, it doesn't just wreck me. Like it did this first mile that I ran. Okay. So over time, like as you're running those miles, you burn less and less calories as your body adapts to it. Same thing with strength training. This also ties into this concept we have of trainability, which is basically the amount of progress we have. We are able to make, um, So basically over time, like there's this gap, there's this gap between the amount of stimulus we need to, um, to see progress and the total amount of recovery ability. We have our body's total ability to recover, right? So there's a gap between the two listeners that aren't watching this. Imagine that there is these two lines on the bottom. We have stimulus on the top. We have recoverability and there's a gap between the two. Now, over time, as our body gets more and more used to any one stimulus, these lines are going to get closer together. That recoverability line will stay in the same place, but the stimulus line is going to edge up more and more and more. So basically, and like progress is made when we achieve, when we reach, is this making sense so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. So progress is made like between those two lines, right? So we have to achieve a certain amount of stimulus just to get into the place where we're making progress, but we can only recover from so much stimulus. Now, eventually, again, the stimulus line gets so close to the recoverability line that we have to do a lot just to make a marginal amount of progress. And eventually they get the point where they match each other and our stimulus can no longer, like the amount of stimulus that we would need to grow, we can no longer recover from, thus we won't make progress anymore. So again, then we're looking at, okay, so why do we need to change phases over time if the goal is just to get jacked? So then that comes into this conversation of rate limiters. So when we're looking at, okay, Why? So typically what we see is like before we hit that point, there's two common rate limiters to tell us, okay, we either need to get into a metabolic phase or we need to get into a neurological or a strength phase. So when it comes to a metabolic phase, typically like the best way I like to describe this is we can't keep up systemically with what's going on locally. So like a good example of this is like for me, like split squats a couple of weeks ago, I was doing split squats. And I was just dying. I was gasping for air. I felt so nauseous. It didn't feel like my quads were the thing was that was giving out. Now later, like then, then the next couple of days, I found out I was actually just I was actually just <laughs> sick. So because it was like kind of I don't know where that this had just hit me and it wasn't necessarily feeling like this before. But like let's use that as an example. You're doing split squats. The thing we want, like the rate limiter we want is like holy shit, my quads are just dead. Those fibers are so fatigued that I couldn't do more than like one to two more reps. Okay. The quads are the rate limiter. So that's what's going on locally. The local musculature that we're trying to train is our quads. That said, if it's like, holy shit, I'm so nauseous. The thing that causes, causes me to stop the set isn't what's going on locally within my quads. It is systemically what's going on systemically. Like my breathing, this nausea, that's rising in my belly, the systemic can't keep up keep up with the local now again like even like within a metabolic phase there's different reasons we would go about this we could also do this for like maybe someone that's like they come on board and they're skinny fat for example okay we probably need to improve nutrient partitioning so then we could enter like a metabolic phase also and that could potentially help with nutrient partitioning there's like so many different angles we could take this but in the, in that case specifically then it's okay we need to bring up your conditioning because for you to in order for you to continue to grow your quads, Again, your system, system-wide, you need it to be able to handle more. So that's where we might enter like a systemic metabolic phase where we're focusing on overall conditioning so that basically you can handle sets like that better in the future. Um, on the flip side, when we're going into like a neurological phase or a strength phase. So here, basically, this is your ability to express power, strength, force, whatever you want to call it. Those are definitely like things that have way different definitions, but we're going to kind of group them in here. Um, so, like a common example of this, is, so basically we're getting better at recruiting more muscle fibers within a single rep. So a com like a good the best way to kind of visualize this is I know sometimes I'll have clients in form videos. They are like doing a rep, doing a rep, doing a rep, and there's not a significant slowdown in reps. All of a sudden they just like kind of stop. And we'll talk through, like, hey, what's going on there? Like, is it um Were you like gassed? Was it something that tells us like earlier we need to like transition into a metabolic phase or do you feel like you just like kind of like stopped in it? Because it's like an abrupt stop almost. And it's like, I just feel like my muscles like quit like firing almost. And that's typically for me when I see that, that's a sign that, hey, we probably should transition into more of a neuro or strength phase. Any other thoughts or takes on that?
1: Yeah. Back to the running thing, because I think this is a really good analogy that clicks better with a lot of people because running is just such a common like recreational sport that people do. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you have somebody that's training for a 5k and they just go out and run a 5k all the time in order to get better for it. Well, eventually that's not going to improve their runtime anymore. So then you can Mm -hmm. look and see, okay, is this, um, would I be more benefited by going and doing some speed work? on top of the 5k work? Or would I be better off going and doing a five mile run or six mile run and improve that endurance? Because both of those are going to translate over into running a better 5k. But eventually just going and do that, doing that exact same 5k over and over is not going to be the thing that helps you improve. And so with clients that come in, like we, we can look and see what have they been doing. And if they have been doing metabolic work over and over and over then we're going to put them into most likely put them in a neurological phase Um, Mm -hmm. if it's somebody that's been doing strength work for months and months and months then that might be the person that we put into a metabolic phase first it's whatever is going to be their biggest deficit is what we'll start with because that's going to help them improve the most and then from there see what needs addressed next
0: that's such a good analogy though like the the more endurance work, like hey, maybe you need to run longer than a 5k. That's kind of like your metabolic work, right? Like, I need mm-hmm. to bring up my endurance. The speed work is more like the neurological side of things. So that's that's such a good analogy. I love that. Um, and I would say as well, it's important to take here, like our clients still, the clients that we do apply this to still spend most of their time in hypertrophy phases, yeah. right? Like these are kind of the outliers um that we use as needed. But again, like our clients' goals are almost always hey i want to build lean muscle and potentially get a little bit leaner so still like the majority of the training is geared towards hypertrophy because that's what people want but it's like when needed these are important tools to be able to use
1: yeah yeah for sure cool.
0: anything else to add to that
1: no nope.
0: dope all right final question we have can you talk about how to know or decide when to sit one out for illness or injury and when to push through. We should obviously follow our doctor's advice, but then what? How do you weigh your options or guide a client through this to find what is best for them? All right. So this is a this is a question that comes up a lot, specific to being sick. Um, and I'll I'll address it from like the sickness perspective. So typically, what I say is like first and foremost, you have to consider are you going to give what you have to everyone else in the gym? (laughs) Right. I think that's always (laughs) something that's important to consider too. Like, don't be a dick. Like don't, don't get everyone else sick just so you can like make marginal gains for a day or two. Um, typically what I've said in the past is like, Hey, if it's above the, if it's above the throat, we're good to, you're probably good to go in and train, just like be considerate of others as well. If it's below the throat, typically it's a good idea to wait until you're back to healthy. I think a lot of times it's also easy to like, well, fuck, I don't want to miss a day of training. I'm going to power through. And typically what happens is you end up running yourself into the ground more because that is a significant stress in your body to go along with being sick. It takes longer for you to recover. And it's really even longer before you can productively train. And the most important thing here is typically how I lay this out to clients This is the same thing with taking a deload hey, I don't want you to look at what seems the most appealing, like what gets me the best possible results in the next three days. Let's look at just the course of the next two weeks. What allows us to have the most productive training within like this entire two weeks? And rather than like trying to push through for the immediate gratification of, okay, I trained hard for a day. That felt great. I'm proud of myself for doing that. But now, like because of this, I'm sick for an extra week. So basically I have like an extra week of unproductive training. Don't you, do you think it would be better if we just took this time off, allowed your body to fully recover. And then when you're at least back to like 90, 95%, then we get back to training from like a sickness perspective. That's typically how I approach it. Um, and I would say really for most people, like if you feel like shit, you're better off not training, give it a day or two. You won't lose muscle in a day or two. Like the risk versus the reward. The reward of that is very small, especially if it's a training session where it's like, uh, I feel like balls. Now on the flip side, I'll say like, It is hard for me to understand when someone like, I guess I've never had like a super bad cold, but if it's like, hey, like have the sniffles, I have a cold and I haven't trained for like a week, that's kind of hard for me to understand. I don't know if some people just have way worse colds than others or what that's about. But um, generally that's how I approach it. From an injury perspective, it, it very much depends, right? On like what the injury is um i would say almost always in regards to the injury if it's something that's like a let's say you broke your forearm, there probably is going to be a period of time like a week where your doctor is just going to want you to like take things off and this very much with an injury i would say it's a lot more dependent on like your doctor's advice first and foremost um can we and so is there like one or two weeks suggested like before you're cleared for getting back to activity and then typically there is again like let's say we broke your arm okay cool well we can still train the opposite arm we can still go in there and train your lower body now of course we like need to be smart with how you're working around this um and like a broken forearm is a little bit harder with the train around but yes we can still do some things even if it's like we're gonna do leg extensions like curls maybe like press um and make sure that you're holding on to muscle tissue because that's also going gonna, gonna to be a long time until you're back into the gym like training normally. So we want to make sure we can hold on to whatever muscle tissue we can with something that would be like, hey, I tweaked my back a little bit and this is irritated. That's typically where I would again like, okay, so what movements give you pain? What are like the issues here? And how can we tweak your program to work around that? And I think, too, like, that's the power of having a coach, right? Can we still – okay, so we know that the hinges really give you trouble. So we can't do, like, a Romanian deadlift. But, hey, like, let's plug in a 45 back extension here. I want you to ease into this. Let me know how it feels. Okay, cool. That feels good. Not the exact same. Like, that would be more like lengthened and, and a back extension would be more, like, mid-range and short. But still, um, we're training a hinge pattern there. Um So how can we like tweak your program to train around this? But again, like that very much depends on the severity of injury. What are your thoughts? What's your take on that?
1: I completely agree with all of that. If it's going to be a short term thing, like being sick, taking a little bit of time off is probably going to end up with it being shorter than Mm -hmm. if you just extend it and end up with a like being just kind of sick and not feeling great for like two or three weeks versus just a few days, um, with an injury that you're going to have to deal with for a longer period of time. There's always ways to train around it. I'd also take into account, but if you're, if it's somebody asking this, they're probably more on the side of pushing through it. Um, so like my husband last weekend, we went mountain biking (laughs) and he took a spill and, uh, both hands are all cut up. And his knees. So, like, bending his knees hurts <laughs> just from the skin. Um, so, like, squat patterns are out and pushing is out, holding on to anything is out. And so, I was like, he's like, how, how am I gonna train around this this week? And I said, just take this week off because it has been <laughs> 18 weeks, I think, since he had taken even one day off. So, if you're kind of like that, where you don't take time off very often, then you're probably gonna come back better. If you just take a few days off um, and and then get back to it whenever you're fully healed, instead of trying to push through it and then ending up with it hurting you for longer. But yeah, like any sort of like, you know, ankle something or, or like you said, broken forearm, like that kind of stuff, you can always find a way to train around it just so that you're still moving, if nothing else, just to maintain your health and, and the habit of going to the gym. So that's basically just rephrasing what you said.
0: (laughs) Basically, though, with injuries, you shouldn't be doing shit that hurts. So we're not saying, like, oh yeah, just go and suck it up and train through it, right? Like, we're saying there's a way to train around it to where you can still, most of your muscles can still experience significant tension. You can maintain or continue to build. But we're not saying, like, your husband, like, my knees hurt okay go in and do squats and like hey those feel (laughs) terrible on your knees oh no you're okay like you'll get through it that's not at all we're saying like we can train around it we can adjust your program around it but you shouldn't be doing shit that hurts
1: yeah or else you're just going to prolong that injury and wish that you hadn't (laughs) wish you'd just taken that one week off
0: very similar to the being sick thing yeah excellent cool um And that is all the questions we have for you guys for today. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in and we will talk to y'all next time.